19th, 18th, 19th century impressionist, uh, Claude Monet. Does that name ring a bell? Even if maybe you're not even in the arts, like that, that name is, has become quite popular. Um, uh, he worked the, impression, or the impressionist art form, I think. I don't know if he started that or if he's the one that made it popular. Um, but lily paintings, this is one of his, his trademarks. Um, he did a, a lot of different types of paintings, but specifically in and around the time of World War I, um, he began uh, painting these actually out of his backyard. So he had uh, this landscape around him, which he was able to step outside and just paint, uh, along with many other things. Um, and these water lilies, uh, he said, provided him a refuge of peaceful meditation. And as German armies uh, approached Paris, um, Claude's, uh, his son and his stepson were actually headed to war. They were on the front lines of uh, just countries clashing together through violence. And what Claude said, as for me, I am staying here all the same. And if they must kill me, it will be in the middle of my canvases, in front of my life's work. So as Claude Monet sat there surrounded by death and violence, the impending pressures of war closing in on him, He said he was going to sit in front of his canvases. He was going to sit in a place of peaceful refuge and meditation, and he was choosing to create beauty. He was was choosing to create light and life across his canvases. And I just wonder this morning, as I saw this painting in Kansas City earlier this summer, the same question that confronted me. Am I at peace? As cultural pressures are just continuing to move closer and closer to us, as this past year and a half has been daunting in so many ways, the political fragmentations, the racial injustice and division, world health crisis, I mean, you go on and on and on. Socially and globally, we have things continuing to press in in our lives. And this morning, in light of all of that, are you at peace? And then there's the little things, the day in and the day out, when our employer seems to not care for us anymore and seems to make us work harder than the person next to us. As we're driving on the freeway and the person that pulls in front of us happens to have the bumper sticker of the other political party. The the friend who you just seem to either not be able to get forgiveness from or you're unable to forgive. I mean, you just keep going through the layers of so many things. Are you at peace? the pressures that are closing in around you in life, are you at peace? And I think for many right now, I could assume that where you're at right now, the state of life, the things that you're experiencing, you might even be asking the question, is it even possible to experience peace? With what is going on in your life, is it even possible, let alone even contribute to any form of peace around you? And I wonder if peace is only something to be found when we actually escape the troubles of our lives. Right? It's, the, it's, it's, it's the thought that when we clock out, then I will have peace. When my kids are finally asleep, which is true, then I will finally have peace. Or it's a glass of wine with friends, then I will have peace. It's my vacation destination, once I've arrived, then I will have peace. But then I wonder, is escaping everything the only time we ever find peace? Or like the older gal in the coffee shop said to me recently, I cannot wait to go home with Jesus so I don't have to deal with these troubles anymore. 
Are we just waiting around to find some ultimate reality of peace in the midst of our troubles? So as we're going to continue our series this morning, the others, we have three weeks left of this. Um, I think a big part of this is we're just looking at the ways in which we can experience God by actually being in relationship with other people, specifically those that are different than us and oftentimes actually can't offer us anything. And as we look today, I think the trajectory is that human history is a history of conflict over and over and over again. It just has a different thing each time, but it's conflict over conflict over conflict. But spiritual history and the history of God is he's actually working to build bridges. He's working to build peace, to make peace across all things. And I think the call for the people of God has always been to actually participate in the peacemaking that God is already up to, and that we actually serve as agents of unity, and agents of of reconciliation, a, a healed togetherness with other people that our world is so longing for, those that have been in conflict even including the internal conflict that we all experience at times, the conflict we might even experience with God. And I believe God has peace for you and I this morning. I truly do. And I truly believe that God has peace for all of humankind. If we are open. If we're open. But first, I think we need to get a little bit of a better grasp on what peace is. So let's go ahead and play that video. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. 
The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say, Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be, but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. A little bit different than just taking a nap on the beach. Yeah? I know we, oftentimes it's that the, the more that we can retract from things, the more peace that we find. When the peace that God is offering is actually a little bit more of entering into something. That when we actually enter into the lives of others, when we actually enter into the work that he's doing of bringing shalom, some have actually coined it the Salome Project is what God is up to. From page one to the end, that God is restoring all things. He's making all things whole. He's bringing all things together. And that we actually get to participate in the work that he's already doing. We get to participate in the work that he is already doing. So if this is what God is up to, if this is the thing that he's calling his people to, if he's calling us to be made whole and then us to participate in the work that he's making all things whole, why is it so hard? Why, why is there not more peace? Even right now, as we sit here, can you think of a relationship in your life that's not at peace? Can, can you think about the turmoil that's going on with your work? Can you, can you think about the things in Tower and in Fresno and in our neighborhood, even before thinking about the things globally? Why is it not even peaceful here in this space as a gathered body? Why do we still have these things happening? And that's to ask the question before we even think about the things out there. Why? Why, why are things not at peace? Why is there not complete wholeness and shalom in our lives? The aching that comes without peace is because God has, has made things to be right, to be right with him and to be right with each other. And in that absence is where we lose our peace. And we see this throughout this, the narrative of Scripture. Here's a few. We look back at Psalm. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Romans make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. 1 Corinthians, God has called us to live in peace. Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Over and over and over again it is repeated that we are to be people of peace. We are to be peacemakers. We are to be participants in the work of shalom. So where is the peace? And why do we struggle to find it? and even to create it. If we look at Paul's letter to Colossians, he says this in uh, 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and daily love, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Well, you notice that each of those is, is an attribute of actually moving towards others. These, these aren't things done in isolation, but these are actually done in relationship. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Yes, even that person. 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Again, what Paul is talking about, the thing that our world needs so much is actually for us to move in these things, to do. But then he says this in 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. See, the, the, the tone actually changes a bit when he gets to peace. As, as these are things that are actionable, when he gets to peace, it's actually something that is receivable. To, to let something rule in our hearts, to let something take over the way it operates, the, 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 to take over the way it actually views others and moves outwards, but it starts here. Letting just everything that God is up to, that Jesus is up to, to rule in our hearts. And what is the origination of that message? That God is reconciling all things. That God is reconciled to you. That, that, that God has actually is doing the work to make you whole, first and foremost. That God is, is entering into relationship with us if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, to actually enter into a forgiveness that he offers us. That first and foremost, peace comes from recognizing that God is pursuing us and making us whole. I believe if we can't see that, we will never be able to step into entering into reconciliation with others. If we haven't realized that we've been forgiven, if we don't realize that we've been reconciled to, if we don't realize that we've been pursued in love, that he has forgiven beyond numbers that we could ever fathom, that is the place in which we can actually live from. So see, I, I think here, uh, St. Francis of Assisi puts it this way, as you announce peace with your mouth, he identifies the action to announce peace, to, to move in peace, make sure you have greater peace in your hearts. That if you want to be a person of peace, that if you want to contribute to reconciliation, if you want to continue the work that God is up to with shalom, may it be true in your hearts. May it be true first in you. May you first receive the peace that God is offering. And then I move out. And I think that is why it is so hard to see peace. Because in a world that tells us to do more so that you can be more, it's easier to step into the action, action of making peace, but then we're never actually at peace ourselves. And if we had to, you know, err to one side, going and entering into making peace, I mean, I think that's the way to err. But I wonder how much destruction is done. Like, what peace are you inviting people into if you're wanting to go and change things for peace, but then you're not actually at peace yourself? It just continues. It's cyclical over and over and over again. Because at what point does going and fixing and saving actually be the thing in which we're trying to seek peace in? which we will never find. So where are you looking for peace? And if you just kind of scanned your life and think about it, I don't know, some of you may have gone to Art Hop on Thursday night. Like, who's that person that you're like, oh, gosh, I know they're going to be there and I just don't want to see them right now. Like, is, can you make peace there? When the expected contract or the person that was going to back you in ministry, when that falls out, that was going to guarantee you some form of stability and success, how do you respond then? When you start thinking about Thanksgiving coming up, does that bring you peace? Or do you think about like the offhand comments that Uncle Frank's going to make after a couple drinks? And then you got to deal with this, and you got to deal with that, and someone walks outside and then interrupts. Like, like if you just look across your life, where are the places that you're seeking peace? And I think what happens, you guys ever do like wild waters or water slides, those kind of things? Like I, I can remember one of them growing up, it was like the black hole. That was like the scariest one ever because it's just this dark thing. You have no idea what's going to happen on the other side. 
But what happens at, at some point, and this can be intentionally done at the beginning, you're like, you're holding on, you don't want to go, everyone's trying to get you to go forward, and finally you just have to let go. Like if you want to experience the fullness of that ride, you just have to let go. And then there was always that kid, whether I was it or not, like would like halfway stop and then like everything just gets piled up and everyone's stuck in there freaking out. Some people are laughing, other kids are crying, like it's just chaos. But I had that image as I was even this morning was thinking about like, what does this, this idea of look like this? The, the, the whole piece for us, I think that the peace of God that transcends our trouble is not achieved, but it's received. That the peace that God actually wants to offer us, that he, that he wants to offer the world, it's not something that we go about trying to achieve and create and find and do all these things. It starts with receiving first. It starts with a place of receiving the peace that God is saying, I've got it. Can you trust me that I am the best at this work? And then once we can receive, I believe we're better to enter in. Because I don't think receiving outweighs doing. Like we, we are called to make peace. We are called to step into situations where the work of, of, of God's peace is around us. But we first have to receive this peace. And if not, I think we end up like the Bermuda Triangle, where we are just grabbing and controlling and fixing, and we are just continually trying to manipulate things to find peace. And we pull this in, and it goes well for a second, and we feel kind of good, and then that falls apart. So then we go on to the next thing. And oftentimes, this really looks mostly like our relationships and the places that we navigate day in and day out and in our neighborhoods, and we're just trying to grasp at so many different things. But I will tell you that the work of peace, living as people of peace, is not for the faint of heart. Like, I'll be honest, in this room right now, I mean, I think we all have something that we could actually either forgive or receive forgiveness for. That's the work of peace. How many things do you need forgiveness in or you need to offer forgiveness right now? And how much does that suck to actually go and do? Like, you don't want to do that. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. You have to have humility, right? Like, all these different, you have to have mercy for people who, like, don't deserve forgiveness, but peace starts to change us. And again, I think what happens is this isn't something where we can like do the five steps to get more peace in a way. But when we start to act and respond differently, it's a sign that God's presence is actually with us. That God's presence is actually transforming us. We start to be less offended when someone disagrees with you. We're quicker to forgive when someone doesn't deserve it. You're more curious about the lives of others, especially those that are different than you. You stop trying to control others often a sign that you're out of control yourself. You end up looking forward to Thanksgiving with Uncle Frank. Even though you've got to put boundaries in place, you can still pursue relationship, right? Just keep going down the list. You are less likely to cancel, and you're more likely to reconcile. Like, this is the sign that peace, that God's peace is moving in our lives. The peace of God transcends our troubles and is not achieved but received. Can I borrow from the Buddhist tradition? Is that Okay. If you guys would have said no, I, don't, I probably still would have done it. Um, but I'm glad we're on the same page. See, I, I was just reading, and it just, just all faith traditions. I mean, there's so many things we, we can learn from each other. And oftentimes, the, the, the Buddhist tradition would look at the Christian tradition and say, while you're stepping into action, we're stepping into contemplation. While, while you're going and doing and trying to fix and trying to achieve and make peace happen, we're stepping into a posture of receiving and being still and listening to God's voice and seeing what he is up to. And they would say that that first is the work to be done. Again, not to be absent of doing and making peace. And they, they would say something like this. To remove one's ego, this is the reason why they would step into contemplation, to remove one's ego from one's peacemaking. 
so that one's actions will not be coming from one's ego needs, but from the wisdom and compassion that can constitute one's true nature. What they're saying is when I step into contemplation to actually be with God, to hear God's voice, to let him do a work of transformation in my life in peace, it's actually removing the brokenness inside of me first. It's removing the things in which I'm going to kind of go and just ruin because it's my vision of peace. That I can actually be transformed, become more like the peace that God is wanting to live out and see lived out in this world. And I think we can learn something from them. Again, in a world that is telling you just to go do, to cancel, to shift, God is asking you to sit, to rest, to listen, to be still. And out of that, how much better are you for other people? Like, how much better are you and your family when you're at peace? How much better is this church in our neighborhood when we're first at peace? So what I want to do now is, like we've been doing, I want to interview um, Marcel Woodruff. So a big part of this series is that we just have our imagination turning over of what it looks like for us as a church to enter into things here in the tower. Um, we were going to have a meeting this afternoon. We're pushing it to De- December 4th for a few reasons. Um, but a, a part of this is that can we catch a vision of what God is doing? So can we be first transformed by the work of justice that God is doing, the work of generosity that God is doing, the work of peace that God is doing, all these different things, and then live it out? And so all these interviews help just contribute to the imagination of what that could look like. Um, so I'm going to interview. So Marcel, why don't you come up? Um, Marcel, can we welcome him? I'm learning more and more that Marcel's reputation precedes him. So I, I know a number of you know him in, uh, know him and the work that he's been doing in our city. Um, and so first of all, just thank you. Uh, I, as I learn more and more, I think I find out like, oh, I didn't know that that was this and you're a part of that and then this is happening. And so it's just incredible um, just to, from the sidelines and now one-on-one, you need a mic. Um, I knew I was forgetting something. Remember my phone this time, but then I forgot the mic. It's, it's something. Um, okay, that's on. So that's it. There we go. How, how does, oh, there we go. Um, so uh, just can you tell us a little bit about the ministry that you're involved in uh, that started a number of years ago um, and just some of the things that you're up to right now, and then I'll just keep asking questions. Definitely. So uh, my name is Marcia Woodruff. I have been doing youth and urban ministry in the city of Fresno for 16, almost 17 years now. Um, primarily focusing in the arena of like gang intervention, prevention, and reintegration. That evolved into me working with uh, Faith in the Valley, and I have basically three, three buckets of Faith in the Valley. It's all about uh, anti-violence work. And so one bucket is how do we um, really move in peaceful ways uh, within the carceral systems. And so I do a lot of work around police accountability and in the justice and the court systems to ensure that individuals in those spaces are retain their humanity. And the other spaces I work in is in communal violence. So I rep- represent uh, an organization called Advanced Peace Today. And so at Faith in the Valley, we organized and we um, advocated for Advanced Peace for three years. And it is a gun violence reduction strategy. And so every day we work with individuals at the center of, of gun violence in the city um, in order to, re- to reduce it. And also we work around um, intimate partner violence or domestic violence. And the third bucket, uh, which doesn't seem like it fits, but it does, is we do um, environmental justice or environmental anti-violence work, which is led by a young man who I mentor by the name of uh, Keyshawn White, 
who identified that his community experienced violence through the form of environmental policies that made their environment more polluted and actually physically hotter than other environments. And so those are the three buckets that I, that I operate in and maybe some stuff splinters off out of that. So making peace, right, in so many ways. And I, I'm curious, so you said 16, 17 years, and by the way, your, your beautiful family is here this morning and just glad you're here. Um, and just, yeah, thank you for taking all the time for all of you to be here. And, and the boss is downstairs. There's two of the kids, but the baby and the boss. <laughs> there you go, yes. <laughs> Too true. Um, but I'd be curious, so we, if we look back 16, 17 years, like, or even maybe some of your life story, how did this start? What motivated these things? How did it come about? How did this start? So um, I go to school at Xavier University in, in New Orleans, and my first day there, I'm traumatized by this practice where we have like freshman orientation, and everybody's holding these rags. So I come from, um, from California, so at this point in time, in the 90s, the homicide rate in Fresno was about between 140, 150. So I associate the rags they were wearing with gangs. Didn't like what was happening. I didn't want, didn't want any parts of this. And the school administration identified this, saw this, and they migrated me into um, anti-violence work. So at that point in time, New Orleans was actually the murder capital of the world. And so they was like, hey, well, you want to you figure this out? This is a great place to do it. And so they migrated me into this, this practice of anti-violence and gun violence reduction that I then come back to Fresno and want to be involved in. And so while I was in New Orleans, I was exposed to a mentor by the name of Sonny Patterson, who's a, a famous poet. And she told me that um, wherever there's motion, wherever there's sound, that's where you have life. And so I'm driving around like West Fresno and I see just this barren space. Like there's little activity, people are here, people are there, but there's no real rhythm of life there. And so I uh, started doing programs, I see Andrew there. So we had like uh, Saturday sports and started really introducing rhythms of life within these barren spaces. And I learned early on that uh, within these rhythms, disruption could happen to the motion and to the sound. And out of that disruption, violence would emerge. And so I began to artistically and innovatively, I built like a music studio program, figure out ways, how do we create harmony um, in the midst of disruption? And so I wanted, an example of that was we started a music studio at Youth for Christ. And so when kids would come and disruption would emerge because you know, your family was from this side and my family was from this side and we want to fight, they would actually go to Youth for Christ and they would have like rap battles. And as opposed to fighting, they would just kind of talk about it. And what that led to was them kind of contriving conflicts and go to the studio and rap because they liked it so much. And so we, we found new ways to introduce harmony um, amongst disruption. So I continue to do that work, uh, continue to see how, how do you figure out a way to harmonize disruption. And that evolved into me working at Faith in the Valley, advocating for programs like Advanced Peace, and really just being artistically and um, scarefully innovative about how do you fill the void so that violence doesn't emerge, but that peace is, is present. That's good. That's good. I, mean, I don't know. I think, about, I think about making peace, and I think how quickly it is, um, especially in just our overconnected just access right now to what's going on worldwide, uh, the atrocities left and right, oftentimes that we're not even connected to, but we are still somewhat connected to in like a compassion idea. And we, just, we almost can get paralyzed by doing to do nothing because we feel like everything is so big and so heavy. Um, what do you say to an idea like that? To an idea that, that, that violence is so pervasive that it's, just, it's, it's crippling just to think about how do you enter into it? Like, how do you even start? Yeah, like, I don't even know what to do yeah, because I, it feels too big. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so for me, when we began doing the work in West Fresno, we heard uh, three things from the kids. We heard who died, who went to jail, and uh, when am I going to drop out of school? 
And in that, create these ruptures and these voids in which violence emerged out of. And so the first thing we did was after listening to people, after we went back and said, what does this mean? What does this mean to us? What, is this, what does this mean about our role in, in this structure in which they are going to jail, they're dying, and they're having inadequate educational experiences? And then we came back to them and just did step one. Like, all right, well, let's volunteer at your schools. Right? And so it, it's just, just really just taking the step to say, hey, let's, let's listen deeply. And then with those who are hurting, with those who, are, who have been marginalized, let's step together and just one step at a time. And so that's, that happened, what, you know, 15 years ago. And now we have a program called Advanced Peace that if you look at a zone where Advanced Peace works at, um, in the year 2020, there were 131 shootings. Um, in 2021, there have only been 13, right? And so just those baby steps led to something that was just deeply impactful and transformative. That's good. So I'd be curious, as a, as a father, as a husband, um, I mean, you're, you're doing some hard work. Like, you're in it often. Um, how, how have you grown, even just personally, in your own life through this work over time? Or should I say, how have you changed since, you know, 15, 16 years ago when you first started this? So 15, 16 years ago, theologically perfect Marcel, who emerged out of, out of Xavier University, <laughs> looks at uh, Midtown and says, hey, there's people out there hurting. Why aren't you saving them? Right? Why are we sitting in these seats? And then uh, you know, I, I go to seminary, and I read this book um, by Michael Iaconelli. I've sort of read it. You know, probably read it. And he has this story in it. And in this story, he talks about this pastor, this pastor who lost his faith. And he goes in front of the pulpit one day and says, hey, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't have faith anymore. I'm, I'm ready to quit. And the congregation says, hey, before you quit, let us have a meeting. And the congregation goes back to have a meeting. And they come back and say, you know what? You can't quit. But what you can do is you can preach us your doubts for as long as you need to, in order to, and we'll see where that leads us. So ultimately, the pastor goes and he preaches his doubts to the congregation, and he restores his faith. Mm. And I love that story because it showed just the, the power of, I always wondered, like, how, how did that church form? Like, just the formative power of that church to hold him that way was um, inspiring to me. So to, to get back to the story. So at first, I'm like, get out there and do this. And so I'm working with the, um, a young, uh, not a young lady, she's older than me, but she had lost a son to suicide, and her daughter was um, um, addicted to substances. And she really wanted to get in this work because what we were doing is she was coming in, and she was unhealthy, and it was unhealthy for her to be in these spaces, right? And I was like, this, this, this doesn't work for everybody. So what the church did was they invited her in, and they said, you know what? It's, it's okay for you to wake up every day and just focus on being okay. And we will walk you through this process and we will hold you. And so she went to the church and she had this formative experience where just through volunteering, through being in the women's ministry and so on and so forth, she didn't have this need to kind of go out and heal people, but she found just solace and love and being in a space that could form and hold her and her healing. And so that's how I've changed, right? So I'm not like, let me tell you, I got there and do anything, but there's, I, I now learned how to lean into what's called redemptive tension. That there's missional work happening in the world through like these parachurches, through Faith in the Valley, and there's formative work happening in these institutions. And we have to be in conversation, continue to challenge each other, but really lean into that tension for the, for, to see the liberation and peace that God is calling us to be agents in. That's good. That's good. Um, when we had lunch, you mentioned uh, just a, a few categories. Like, if you, as you've been doing this work, and I think the question is kind of like, we as a church, so as we're uh, just imagining and dreaming and just being open to what it could look like for us to participate in some structured, formalized work um, into making peace, you, you had like a few buckets or categories 
in which you have identified or recognized, like if we think about Tower, is that the best way to intro that piece? You could, yeah, that's one way. So in the conversation, we spoke about um, advanced piece. So the model of advanced piece is we work with those at the center of gun violence. And so every year, the police gives us a list that says, hey, these people are, are responsible for multiple shootings in this city. Typically, it's about 1% of your gang members. And traditionally, what we try to do is socialize those individuals. Like just, just get them in something and do some sort of like behavioral training. But in my work doing this 16 years and the work with Advanced Peace, we learned that actually there are three things that drive gun violence in the city. Um, food insecurity, housing insecurity, and transportation insecurity. And so one of the young fellows who I, I absolutely love, who is in jail for a gun violence-related offense right now, his life rhythm was, I wake up, figure out a way to get to school, and I haven't eaten. I get home, I don't know where mom is, you know, and so I kind of hang around until mom gets home one, two o'clock in the morning, I still haven't eaten. I go to sleep at two o'clock in the morning, and I wake up at six, and I try to find a way to school. You know, so he, he had this rhythm of life that, that was disrupted. Hmm. And so it's been through just saying, hey, where are these disruptions at? So there's food. So I want, you to, I want you to have a rhythm of life where you have safe transportation to school, where you, are nur where you have nourishment, you, you, you're, you, can, you can focus because you're not hungry. You have safe transportation home, you can be home, you can rest, you can eat, and tomorrow you do that all over again. And so we've learned that it's those three buckets that really drive violence and gun violence in the city. And so systemically and strategically thinking about how do we create a system, because I get challenged by this all the time, like, all right, Marcel, you're doing this, but what happens if Marcel isn't there, right? And so you're doing this, but how do we create systems and structures so that everybody has this rhythm of life where these insecurities are met, and so this disruption doesn't occur? That's good. I would encourage you, because we're, I mean, you can, there's never enough time for this, um, but ask questions afterwards, hang out with Marcel, but I, I would just be curious, if as we just wrap this piece up, um, what's an encouragement to us as we are dreaming and imagining of what it looks like, as though many of us might be operating in certain spaces individually, what does it look like for us to say, here's the one or two ways Midtown is going to participate in Tower towards making peace? What's an encouragement to us? An encouragement, let me, let me think for a second, an encouragement. Um, I, I would invite you to do um, maybe what I did and leaning into the redemptive tension. Hmm. I know that um, the, the brilliant minds I do know here, you're aware of the disruptions, right? You're aware of those, those voids. And I would encourage you to be faithful as you lean into those disruptions and really trust God to I like what you, you just said earlier, like when you, when you brought me up here, you said the work that I'm doing is the work that God's doing in, in, mm -hmm. in the city, right? Mm -hmm. to, to locate the work that's happening as God doing the work and, and not me, and to, and, to, and to trust that, to be encouraged, know that it's God working through you, it's God who's already there, who's been working, that's invited you to a space to be the peacekeepers in society and you know, sons and daughters of God. Yeah, that's good. Marcel, thank you. Just, I mean, for being here today and taking the time away from your own church family and, and being here in the space with us and then just sharing of your life and the work that you're up to and then the, the work that you're doing in, in the city. Um, can we pray yeah. with you just in this time? Um, so why don't we join in prayer and then we'll, we're going to wrap up with a little bit of time of reflection and ministry time. Um, yeah, so Father, I just... Uh, just in this, in this work that Marcel is up to, that um, Faith in the Valley, that Advanced Peace is doing, uh, 
I, I even just recognize that, that his family is a part of this, uh, his wife, his children, uh, that this is not, not a work that he's doing alone. Um, those that are involved in, in the organizations, those that he's working with, uh, city leaders, nonprofit leaders, other churches. Um, man, I, I even just pray peace. I think that the, the work of shalom that you're bringing about, I, I, I pray that that just increases this morning um, in and through Marcel, uh, that just the, the work that he has been up to, um, the work that he has been doing, may, may there just even just in this space just be a, a, a renewed reminder of how close and near you are, how you are going ahead of, that, that it's you that is, that is in and before all things. Um, and I thank you for Marcel as an example for us. I thank you for his story, um, how he has gone ahead of us as we try to draw uh, in just a handful of minutes some, some wisdom um, from his life. And I just thank you for, for how many get to benefit from the work that you've called him to. Um, so I, I do pray that we are encouraged to step in, um, that we are encouraged to, uh, as, as we've opened up to the reconciling work that you have with each of us individually and corporately, that uh, we, we are encouraged to enter into um, the work of re- reconciliation around us. Um, so I just, I thank you for Marcel. I thank you for the, in, the organizations that he is leading. Um, may you continue to guide, to stay near, to provide clarity. Uh, but most of all, may you just continue to bring your peace in and through Marcel, in and through our city. Um, yeah, just a blessing over his family this morning. Uh, just peace, peace in the home. Uh, yeah, Marcel, I just see just a, I don't know what your home looks like or, or exactly what neighborhood, but just the, just that block, like that your home just being this light, um, just see kind of a, a, a map where that, that is lighting up and just how that light just spreads. Um, may that be true of, of you personally, your home, uh, and the work that Faith and Valley is doing here in our city. Um, so yeah, God, we thank you for Marcel and all the work being done. Uh, may we see more of what you're up to and partner where we can. Amen. Marcel, thank you. Thank you, very much. Thank you very much. Um, and, and a part of this, just so you guys know as a church, like we, we, we want to also do what we can to even contribute. So, you know, financially, um, you know, giving a little bit to Faith in the Valley and what they're doing. And that's on behalf of, of all of us as we have these conversations. Uh, just to invite the ministry team or the uh, worship team forward. Um, we're going to go on time in ministry. And I want to end with this. Uh, as, as, as we talk about this idea of peace being something that we receive, not just that what we achieve, um, I think one of the greatest things that we can do is actually create space. Uh, as, as the Buddhist faith tradition talks about contemplation and action, um, they believe that it's contemplation that actually leads to action. Uh, and oftentimes in Christian tradition, it's much more about just doing and the actionable side. Um, and we don't always slow down. And I think that's also a cultural thing as, as Americans. Like, it's just do more, be more busy, uh, achieve all that you can, and hey, when you burn out, you burn out. Like, good job. It was all, it was all for good work. Um, but I think the invitation is for us to slow down and to receive and, and, and to be still and to trust the promises of God. Um, so what we're going to do, um, here's one more quote, and then I'm going to ask some questions. Gandhi wrote this, my optimism rests on my belief in the infinite possibilities of the individual to develop nonviolence. The more you develop it in your own being, the more infectious it becomes till it overwhelms your surrounding. And then it might oversweep the world. An invitation to be transformed from the inside out. And how much better will you be at participating in the making of peace that God is up to already around us? Because I do believe that we can step more into action. The church at large, here at Midtown, 
but it, coming from a place of transformation from the inside. So what we're going to do is we're going to look beneath the surface. So if you can close your eyes. And just you and God, I want you to reflect on each of these questions for about a minute. And after my fourth question, I'll read a short passage to reflect on, and then we'll sing a song and head out. Maybe a couple breaths just to center yourself. And right now, this morning, this week, what are you angry about? What are you sad about? What are you anxious about? And what are you glad about? And now with eyes still closed, whatever came up for you, many of these things which are counter to the peace that is offered inside of us. So I want you to listen to this scripture a couple of times and just let God guide you. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid.